Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. In every pair of Tecovis boots, you can expect handmade quality, first wear comfort, and timeless Western style. A great pair of Western boots will elevate a casual look or add a refined flair that will draw both eyes and compliments. Tecovis boots are always made from premium bovine and exotic leathers, and with occasional resoling, they will last a lifetime. The best way to shop for boots is at your local Tecovis store, where you'll be greeted by the smell of fresh leather and a friendly smile. Come on in, grab a cold one, get fitted by a pro, and shop the latest styles. We also offer custom branding and leather stamping if you want to personalize your boots or fine leather goods. As spring makes its way into summer, stay cool in a short-sleeve moisture-wicking pearl snap or make your own shade with one of their classic straw hats, new in both men's and women's styles. And if you're planning to hit the road, Tecovis's ever-growing lineup of rugged and full-grain leather bags will get you where you're headed in style and are built to last decades. Visit tecovis.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. And don't go gently, y'all. If no pain, then no love. If no darkness, no light. If no risk, then no reward. It's all or nothing. In this damn world, it's all or nothing. Glennon Doyle Melton. But this morning felt unusually cold, but I was like, eh, whatever, I'll deal with it. I'm just gonna get up and start walking. I'll be all right. So got up, started walking, probably made it a half a mile outside the shelter before my hands hurt so bad they felt like they were gonna explode. And I got super dizzy, could hardly stand up, and I just wanted to throw up so bad. But there was like nowhere around, it was, everything's covered in snow and uh, like sloshy, because it had just recently rained sloshy snow. So there's nowhere to sit down or lay down or anything like that. So I like tried to run back to the shelter as fast as I could. Meanwhile, I'm dizzy and can like hardly see. But I made it back there and I tried to get out some hand warmers, but like didn't really work too well because my hands were like concrete. So I just, just laid down in the shelter, shoved my hands in my crotch and started to roll around in a ball and like yell at the top of my lungs in agony for, I, this is where it gets fuzzy. I, rem I remember doing that for about five to 10 minutes. And then I think I passed out from the pain because the next thing I remember is waking up with the sun shining on me. I'm Doc and this is the John freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. 
Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Mirpod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. If you've been listening to the podcast at all, you are familiar with the calendar year Triple Crown. As of right now, there have, there have been 13 people who have completed all three American Long Trails in one calendar year, and three of them have come on the John Freakin' Mirror Pod. Well, get ready to make that four. Welcome to the pod, Brandon Wise. Hey, Doc. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, here on the podcast, we only go by, by uh, trail names. So uh, Doc doesn't appear on my driver's license or my paycheck. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I imagine that if you've been on all three long trails in one calendar year, you managed to pick up a trail name somewhere along the way. Yeah, thankfully I had one before I left. Yeah, because if I didn't, I probably wouldn't have got one until I was on the PCT in April or May. Because before that, I already saw anybody, so it would have been tough to get one. But uh, yeah, I picked up one in 2018 on my first ever um, like hiking trip in the High Sierra. I got horsepower doing that. Okay, and tell us the story. How did you end up with horsepower? Uh, the short version is just that it was like a group trip through our, through, you know, through our university. And so like we had a bunch of extra like safety gear. So we had a lot of, and it was not like the anti ultralight version of hiking. And I was like the biggest one there. So I always like try to carry as much of the uh, group gear as possible. So my pack was probably between 60 or 70 pounds every day. So kind of someone there deemed me that name and just kind of stuck after that. Well, we are going to talk, talk about gear here on the, on the podcast here. Um, I'm going to be really interested to hear about how your, your gear evolved from that 2018 trip to the calendar year triple crown. I, I'm sure you made some changes. So quite a few. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Hey, have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before horsepower? Yeah. I've listened to a few of um, other people I know are just really interesting people. Uh, really liked it so far. Good. Good. Thank you. Hey, I only asked because I want to make sure that you are aware of a segment that happens towards the end of the episode called the pro tip inside of the week. That's where I will turn to you and say, Horsepower, what uh, what bit of wisdom can you share with our listeners to make their next outdoor adventure even better? So don't be surprised when we get there. Sounds good. I don't know what it is, but it'll be something great. Okay. <laughs> All right. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company, Outdoor Vitals. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So horsepower, what is your must bring piece of gear out there? It's probably be a pretty boring answer, but for me, I got to have good footwear. So it's just going to be ultra lone peaks. Okay. Ultra lone peaks. Yeah. That is a, a common must bring piece of gear that we hear from our experienced long trailers. They, you know, they understand the importance of uh, having your feet in good condition and not hurting because uh, if your feet are hurting, then that yeah, makes for a whole different trip. It just ruins everything. Yeah. Yeah. And how many pairs of Lone Peaks did you go through on the calendar year? Triple Crown. Yeah, I tried counting it up a few days ago. I think it's either 12 or 13. Wow. What, what does that come? What does that come to in terms of mileage? Uh, so, you're, you know, you're only supposed to rec you only recommend it to do like three to 500 miles per pair. But I'm kind of a cheapskate. So I usually push them to around 700. And I know I got a thousand on one and about fifteen hundred on one pair, which was definitely not advisable. By the end of that, I don't think I would probably would have been safer walking barefoot, but uh, I made them last that long. <laughs> Horsepower, you and I are going to get along just fine. I, I like to I like to pinch a penny as well and make those shoes go as long as possible. 
Absolutely. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about gear here. Um, you said that in 2018, you hiked in the Sierras. What, what, what hike was that? Uh, so it was just basically, there was no like specific trail. We just kind of made it. I didn't make the route, but uh, the guy through our university made the route and it was in some like the most remote part of the Sierra. And I loved it. Like, I think we were on, we were on the PCT for like six miles around um, uh, like Muir Trail Ranch area. But other than that, it was all in like remote valleys. Like we hardly saw any other people. It was great. Wow. And what was in that 60 to 70 pound pack of yours? Whew, uh, bear canister with a lot of food and then just a bunch of safety gear, um, kind of heavier cooking equipment because we had a really big group. Other than that, I don't even know anymore. <laughs> it seems like so long ago and just so much so much stuff I would never, ever bring anymore. Okay. And how did you trim that down to, uh, to your hike this year of the calendar year triple crown? What was your base weight this year? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so like most of that was still the university's gear. So it wasn't my own stuff. So after that, I started to buy my own stuff and like everybody else wasn't ultralight at first. I was like, Oh, that doesn't really matter. Whatever. I'll be fine. But then as you get more into it, you realize how beneficial it really is. So I started buying my gear in 2019 and then kind of just gradually, got stuff, whatever stuff was on sale and just kept building it up until uh, I was supposed to do the PCT in 2020. So I had most of it by then, but then kind of got some, got a little more ultralight between uh, March of 2020. And then when I left in early 2021 and uh, the base weight depended a lot on the season and terrain for my winter base weight, I think it was around 19 pounds. And then my summer was like 10 and a half, I think. Okay. Now, are you telling me that your first experience with hiking was in 2018 and then three years later, you've done the calendar year triple crown? That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> that is phenomenal. And we're going to talk about uh, how you ramped that up and how you got inspired to do that in just a little bit. But uh, before we leave gear behind, I want to, want to go through a, a little segment that we've been doing recently called the hiking pole. And it's not P O L E it's P O L L. Little good to know. <laughs> a cute turn of phrase there. So, all right, I'm gonna ask you uh, four questions, and it's gonna kind of give us a sense, uh, a glimpse into your into your gear and your philosophy. So here we go. Boots right, or ready. trail runners? I think we already answered that question. Mm -hmm. Trail runners all day. Did you start with boots in the Sierras? No, not even in even in winter on the AT. I didn't want to do boots just because there's not really any. There's no such thing as waterproof, and I just don't want to be carrying extra weight on my feet. Okay. Tent or tarp? Uh, tent, but I probably want to get into a tarp. I just didn't have one, and just tents are easier. Okay, you ever do any cowboy camping? Oh yeah, basically whenever I could. Yeah, and what 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 is the criteria for a successful night of cowboy camping? Ooh, uh, ideally in the desert or just somewhere you know that you're not gonna there's not gonna be condensation or dew in the morning. Um, but I did do it in Oregon and Washington a few times. And of course, one of the nights it rained, but, um, so, um, ideally no moisture, no rain. Other than that, um, I, well, I learned the hard way. If you're sleeping on any sort of a, a slope at all in your cowboy camping with a, um, inflatable pad, you're going to slide right off uh, and your tent's not going to be there to catch you. Um, so a flat also is pretty, a pretty big deal. But other than that, it's pretty easy. Just so much more simple than setting up a tent and saves time. That's why I love it. Yep. And if, if you are cowboy camping and the, when, when the rain started, uh, what did you do? Did you just, did you set up a tent at that point or did you just hunker through it? Mm, well, this might be a story we'll get to later, okay. but I was in New Mexico. I didn't, ha I couldn't, oh, I didn't have trekking poles, so I couldn't set up my trekking pole tent. 
and it started raining one night and it got to the point where I was too tired at all like to, to keep hiking at all so I just told myself it wasn't going to rain very long but it ended up raining six hours so I just laid there in misery the whole night um I would if I if I wasn't dead tired I would try to get up and keep walking until it stopped raining but depend on the situation okay uh sleeping bag or quilt uh sleeping bag but I really wish when I when I feel the need or feel the that I can drop the money on I definitely want to get a quilt my sleeping bag I loved my winter sleeping bag because it was super warm and great, but my summer sleeping bag was probably my least favorite piece of gear I had the whole year. Okay. Are you a side sleeper or a back sleeper? Uh, side or stomach. Side or stomach. So yeah. I, it, it, in my opinion, I think those sleeping styles lend themselves more to quilts. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Spread out a little bit. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now this question, this last question on the hiking pole is the one where we, we sort the crazies from the normal people. So stove or cold soak oh this i, I feel i feel this i feel like if this is offensive to me then i have to go cold soak i feel like i'm gonna oh. be here <laughs> <laughs> so tell me about that i mean when did you realize that cold soaking was the was the way to go because i think that everybody pretty much when they start out hiking through hiking they you know they start with a stove mm-hmm. so i knew i knew i would at least be doing it in the summer months um i knew i wasn't gonna want to cook at all or I wouldn't want to have the time to cook at all. Just try to do as big miles as possible. But I was talking to a couple of people that did the calendar year triple crown before, or at least hiked a lot in winter. And they said uh, that you'd really want a warm meal at the end of the day, like hiking on the AT in winter. So I thought that would be the case for me too. So I brought a stove on the AT for the first week and I used it maybe two or no, I had the stove probably the first 500 miles, maybe used it like three to five times the whole, that whole time, just because, one, I was so tired at the end of the day and it was so cold. The last thing I wanted to do was take time to cook and then clean it up. And number two was even worse. The mice in the AT shelters were just so ridiculous. And if I started cooking, they would try to like cr- climb up my leg and do like a kamikaze mission inside to the boiling water. And it was just such a, such a pain dealing with them every night. I didn't want to, I didn't want to cook. So I ditched the stove early on in the AT and I really didn't mind um, not having a warm meal at the end of the day for me. It's basically just walk, walk as much as possible, then shove down about 2,000 calories of peanut butter before going to bed. Okay, that was going to be my follow-up question is, is I've talked to a number of people who, while they don't bring a stove with them, they're not necessarily cold soakers. They will you know, just eat cold food, but not necessarily mm-hmm. soak anything. So I wanted to find out, is that, uh, is that your approach as well, or you actually were a, a bona fide cold soaker? So I didn't, I didn't cold soak on the AT in winter because it would have frozen most of the time. It wouldn't. Mm-hmm really have gone too well. I, I assume I didn't try it even, but I assumed it wouldn't have gone well. I did cold soak every day or like maybe every other day on the CDT and PCT. Okay. And what are your go-to cold soak recipes? Oh, I'm a simple man. I, it was probably ramen noodles, 96, 98% of the time. And the other two times were like rice sides or nor sides, but they don't, they don't turn out too well. Now, I love how you went from 96% and you caught yourself and you upped that two more percent to 98%. It was probably more, yeah. <laughs> are, you, are you a mathematical kind of guy? Uh, when I have to be, not, not preferably. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, before we get too far down the trail, let's back up a little bit and talk about your origin story here. We want to hear about your background, where you grew up, if you were involved in any kind of sports and hobbies growing up, and how you got involved in the thru-hiking cult, because that's what it is. Any organization or group that convinces you to live in the dirt for months on end has to be a cult. So that's definitely true. <laughs> yeah. Tell, tell us how it all got started, Brandon. Where'd, where'd you grow up? 
Yeah, I'm so I'm from uh, Ottawa, Ohio. It's in Northwest Ohio, and there's not really any outdoor activities around here except hunting. Um, they're like not there's not really any hiking trails or anything like that. So this is the Amer- up, this is the American Ottawa, not the Canadian Ottawa. Correct, correct. Yeah. Got it. Okay, you have to make you have to make that uh, distinction a lot when you when you tell people where you're from. Not usually. I mean, usually, like Americans don't even uh, Ottawa, Canada usually doesn't even pop in their head. So <laughs> I, don't, I don't have to most of the time. <laughs> um. But yeah, not, not a lot of hiking. I mean, no hiking really growing up because there's nothing in the area. So, um, and we own a farm. So working out, I was working out there a lot. And then I was into football and basketball, basically like from childhood all the way through high school. So like growing up, I basically just associated the outdoors with work and sports. And before that backpacking trip in 2018 in the high Sierra, I'd never really had done anything like that before. Um, I just absolutely fell in love with it out there. It's a very easy place to do that. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for for the comeuppance. Okay, and you have any brothers and sisters? Yeah, both younger. And when I described to them uh, what I'm doing, my sister says she literally cannot imagine anything worse in the entire world. And my brother, I think he, he doesn't say it to my face, but I think he still thinks I'm crazy. Yeah, I have dragged my son on some hiking trips, and he really he really enjoys it. But my daughters they they look they have the same kind of reaction as your sister. Like, <laughs> yeah. why would anybody do this? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what what did your parents say when you said, "Hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna go hike uh, the three long trails in one calendar year"? Mm-hmm. So when I originally told them that, I, I, so my original plan was to do the PCT, CDT, AT, like one each summer, starting in 2020 before I had to cancel the PCT. So when I told them that, they were more upset. So I think that kind of eased them into it. And then when I told them I was gonna go for the calendar year triple crown, they kind of just sat there for like a half minute, and they're like, "Let me get this straight." So you're saying 10 people have ever done this and they're all much more experienced than you. And you think you're just going to go along and do it this year. And I was like, yeah, like, okay, well, good luck. (laughs) They didn't try and discourage you. No, no. Um, I mean, in the beginning I could still tell they were a little apprehensive or just like mostly worried, I guess. But as the year went on, they just got more and more supportive and it was, it was great. I really don't know if I would have been able to do without, without their support and, you know, having to fight a battle, at home and then also on the trail would just be, would have been so much more tough. Yeah, absolutely. Are you calling from, are we, are you, are you uh, calling in from Ottawa right now? Yep. Yeah. I moved back home okay. since I've been home about three weeks now and yep. Living here for now. Um, yeah. Okay. And you said that 2018 trip, that was a college trip. Yeah. Through Ohio state, Ohio, the Ohio state university. Yeah, I think is how you. they, how they do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and did you graduate from Ohio state? I did. Yeah. Right. Um, in May of 2020. So the plan was to graduate basically. And then I was going to start the PCT like three days later before the world ended. Okay. And did you get a degree in like calendar year triple crowning or what nope, was, kind what of, was... kind of the opposite, uh, double majored in finance and history, finance and history. You don't see that, that double major too often. Yeah. It's, it's not very common. Uh, originally it was just finance and then kind of added the history since, I plan on going to law school, so that kind of forced me to read and write a lot more. But um, now I don't even, at least in the short term, I don't think I want to go to law school anymore. That was one of the big, uh, big realizations of the year. But that's that's a story for another time. Yeah, you know, when you're out there for was it 7,700 miles? I mean, you have a lot of time to think about stuff. Yeah, sometimes too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're right. I think you're right. So you went, you 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 did the history double major. Uh, you added history because you anticipated going to law school, not because you loved history. Oh, I do also, but the, the, the going to law school was the main reason. But yeah, I also, if I had to choose a second major, that would have been my most 
intriguing also that I could have chosen. Okay. Do you have a favorite period of American history? Yeah, probably like revolutionary time. Hmm. Okay. You, you, do you feel like you, uh, I know I have a feeling, I shouldn't say I know. I have a feeling that a lot of the folks that I, that I talk to uh, may feel like they are, they were born in the wrong time that, you know, they love to, to rough it and get back to nature and live a very simple life and uh, life in Los Angeles or in Ottawa these days in the 21st century is very complicated. Yeah, it's definitely true. I definitely feel that at times, but then also there'd be a lot of times this year where I'd be um, hiking in like Wyoming and see like an old mining town, just wonder like how the hell did people come here with no infrastructure here and just build these roads and just make civilization. I, I honestly can't imagine how difficult that would have been too. So I, I'll, I'll say, I wish I was born back then, but at the same time, I don't know. Life's pretty easy now. <laughs> yeah. I think that's, that's a good observation. And I, you know, I wonder that as well, you know, how, how in the world did they uh, accomplish this? How did they, you know, the settlers, how did they, they get in a wagon and cross the Rockies and, you know, not knowing what was on the other side and knowing, knowing full well what the dangers might be, oh, but, doing it, but doing it anyway. I mean, that's just yeah. mind boggling. So crazy. <laughs> yep. So horsepower, what are you doing these days to pay the bills and financial uh, trips? Yeah. So since I've been home, nothing, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I started work, um, started writing a book about two weeks ago. So that's my main focus right now. Hopefully get that done. Um, sometime next year. I don't know when exactly. And then just started working a part-time job, a uh, bartender a few few days ago to have a little bit of income while while the book is my main focus right is the book about your calendar year triple crown experience yeah basically just like a linear story of this past year what all went down and yeah kind of just a recount okay now i i was in my former life or i shouldn't say my former life my past life i'm, I'm still involved in education but earlier in my education career i was an english teacher so if you wanted to share some of those drafts with me i'd be happy to to review them for you Oh, absolutely. That'll, that'll be great. Thanks. Okay. Hey, did you happen to read um, Legend's book about the calendar year Triple Crown? That book was a big part in getting me out there for it. Yeah. So basically, I when I canceled the PCT, I had the, I, the idea first entered my mind of trying for the calendar year Triple Crown, but it still sounded so crazy, so impossible. I like made a deal with myself. I'll get Legend's book and I'll read it. If it doesn't sound impossible, I'll try it. So I got the book. I read it and I was like, it doesn't sound easy, but it doesn't sound impossible. So that book was a big part in making me get out there this last year. Yeah. So I think you mentioned when you started that only 10 people had done the calendar year triple crown, correct? I think correct. we're up to 13 now uh, with you and then with uh, Jackson Perel and Sammy Potter completing it this year. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Jackson and Sammy were on an earlier episode. I think they, they that episode just came out a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago. And then uh, Jeff Legend Garmeyer is uh, another one who has done the calendar triple crown. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. He is hilarious. He is just mm -hmm. uh, quite the character. Yeah. Him and him and um, both uh, him and kickstand Mike, I might mess this up. I'll probably mess up his last name, but Papadatos were huge resources for me uh, being, e being even be able to try that this year without them, I, without their advice, I probably wouldn't have been able to do it. So yeah, they were him and uh, in addition to his humor, he's also pretty smart and pretty helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you reached out to, to him and, and told him of your ambition and asked for tips or how'd that go? Yeah. Basically it started out with um, saying that like, I have no experience. Is this a ridiculously stupid idea? And he basically said, nah, you might as well just go for it. And then kind of had a little bit of a relationship and answered some, some of my questions and concerns after that. Okay. And tell me about kickstand. 
Did he also do the calendar triple crown? Yeah, he did it. I think it was 2018 when he did it. And he was kind of more of a, uh, I don't know, relatable person for me because before he did it, he didn't have any through hiking experience either. So that kind of made me feel better that I, I since I did it, somebody else already did that. So it wasn't impossible. And he was, uh, he was really, really great guy. And he was the first and I think still only uh, non-US. Actually, no, he's, he was Canadian. I think one British guy might've done it too, but yeah, yeah, really cool guy. Kickstand from Ottawa? Uh, I think he's from Toronto. Oh, okay. But I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And then I've got a future guest coming on. I'm going to talk to him, I think, uh, next week, uh, who's going to attempt the calendar Triple Crown next year. It's going to leave in February. And his, his his name is Jack Jones, goes by Quadzilla. Oh, cool, cool. Yeah, I mean, I've seen, I've seen him on Instagram. Um, that, other than that, I don't know too much about him. But cool. Yeah. I'm happy to hear there might be some more more crazy ones joining the uh, the class. <laughs> yeah, I reached out to him before I even knew he was going to be doing it uh, next year. I was just going to talk to him about his past exploits and adventures out there. And he just told me the other day that he's getting ready to plan uh, the calendar year. So it should be interesting. Right on. Okay. So what was your uh, what was your research and preparation? How did I mean I know you talked to, to Legend, I know you talked to Kickstand. What other kinds of resources did you access and and how did you, how long did it take you to plan this trip? Yeah, it was a lot, a lot more than I even expected. So back in when I first started to think about it in March when there were still like heavy lockdowns and nobody was really doing anything, I was probably doing like 10 to 12 hours of research a day in March. And then April was probably like, I don't know, four to six hours a day. And then the rest of the year was probably one or two hours a day. Uh, most days so it was it ended up being a really a lot and looking back I don't even know what, what I spent that much time on because once I got out there it felt like it all went out the window um, but a lot of it was mostly preparing for the different areas in the time of the year I'd be there and then preparing for winter travel and things being closed down in winter that normally aren't so for example like something I did that nobody else would probably have to do normally I called or emailed basically every hostel or store along the Appalachian Trail to make sure they'd be open in winter because a lot of them closed down out of season. So that was just something that kind of took up a lot of time. And then I didn't have, to, I didn't work on too many of the logistics beforehand because they're so variable depending on the time you show up places. And I was hoping to be able to do all three trails. I was going to do AT, PCT, CDT all straight through, but with the snow on the East coast uh, last winter, was, uh, maybe it was possible, but it was just moving. So I was moving so slow. Once I get up to Vermont, I had to flip to keep up a decent pace. So I had contingency plans to get, and after, if I wasn't be able to go straight through contingency plans to uh, where I'd go next. So working on those two. And then other than that, honestly, just dialing in gear a lot because uh, I just wanted to be as ultralight as possible while also trying to be relatively safe uh, for the year. All right. And let's talk strategy in terms of which trail first, which direction, uh, how that all played out. Did you start with the AT? Yeah. So basically from what I see, there's two ways to do the calendar year triple crown. You can do AT if you're going to, um, for simplicity wise, just hypothetically to go all straight through AT, you can do AT starting really early, then do the PCT CDT, or you could start later, probably April, May, and then start with the PCT and then finish, then do the PCT CDT and finish with the AT. The, I chose the first one because it gives you a lot more flex time to be able to finish before the end of the year. And with this being my first through, like I wanted as much time as possible. But if you do the second version where you start with the PCT, you should be able to move much faster and you would probably have to deal with less, less um, snow and just terrible weather on the AT since you'll be getting there 
at fall turning into winter instead of starting out in the dead of winter. Okay. So I, I can't get over the, 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 the AT was your first through hike. That's just a, <laughs> that is great, man. Good way so, to open it up. <laughs> that's right. So what, what, uh, what day did you start the AT and you went northbound, correct? Yep. Going northbound. I started January 13th at Springer. Okay. And when did you jump off of the, uh, the AT or have to flip-flop? Yeah, I don't know the, I forget the exact day. It was somewhere around March 20th, I think, uh, when I got to near Rutland, Vermont, the snow was every single step I took, I was sinking down to my waist and there was no tracks at all to fall. So I was just randomly wandering through the woods, looking for a blaze on a tree that's all covered in snow anyways. So it was, it was not a fun time. (laughs) Did you ever think, what am I doing out here? Oh, not just, that was a lot of days of the year, but. (laughs) (laughs) And so you got off the AT at that point? Yeah. Uh, so I flew where'd from, you go? I flew from, uh, flew from Burlington to Phoenix and then got a bus down to Lordsburg, New Mexico to start at the Mexican, New Mexico border on the CDT. Started that um, sometime late March. I don't remember the exact day. And then made it up to Monarch Pass in Colorado. And the snow was just still ridiculous in Colorado. Like for that first part in Colorado, I did a bunch of road alternates to avoid the high mountains because there were still like six to eight feet of snow a lot of the places. Um, then when I got to Monarch Pass, I flew from Denver to LA and then started the PCT April 26th Then went all the way Novo on that. Finished PCT July 24th and then started the CDT at the Montana Canadian border on July 30th and headed south to where I ended up Monarch Pass and ended up doing an extra uh, 300 miles after that to kind of make up for the uh, alternates I took that kind of cut off a lot of the miles. Just threw an extra 300 there for good measure. Yeah. Why not? You know? <laughs> yeah. And when you're on the PCT, do you ever encounter any people and you say, Hey, you know, this is my third long trail of the year. I already did most of uh, the AT and the CDT. And what, what were the reactions? Yeah. I, I would never, I, w- I would try not to bring it up first. Cause well, if I was, especially if I was walking, I didn't want to like stop and talk to people, but if I was like taking a break or, you know, at camp the night and somebody asked me a question that would lead to it, I would, I would tell them. And then it was always funny to see the reactions. Or the, my favorite too was on the PCT along the ways, like further down the trails. So I meet somebody the last my start date. I'd say April twenty sixth. They'd look at me and be like, "Are you sure? That doesn't sound right." I'm like, yeah, that's when I started. <laughs> it, it never got. I never got tired of hearing people's like funny reactions to what I was doing. Now you said you wouldn't lead with that. I'd be carrying a sign that said that. You know, this is uh, this is my third <laughs> long trail. I'm sure everybody knew, knew knew what I was doing out there. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, it was, it was always a fun conversation, but during the day I was also stubborn and didn't want to stop moving. Mm-hmm. Now, what do you, what do you say to people who think, uh, you know what, hiking in snow, that must be beautiful. That must be a lot of fun. Just gorgeous. I mean, what, what is the reality of hiking in snow? Mm, it, it can look pretty, but you pay for it 10 times, 10 times over. Um, I, it's hard to even describe until you do it. Like, just every single step you take, you're sinking a lot of the time, sinking above your ankle at the best, up to your knee at the worst. And it's actually, I got to the point early on, on the AT, probably three or 400 miles in where I stopped getting mad and honestly just started laughing whenever I would sink up to snow to my knees or waist. Cause it was just ridiculous. Like how, how funny and bad the conditions were, but really there's nothing you can do about it. Well, and in addition to walking in snow the whole time, your feet are going to be wet 24 seven. And I don't care if you have waterproof boots, it's going to get in through the top. Your feet are going to get wet. I'm honestly surprised I didn't have more 
I ended up getting athlete's foot on the PCT, but I'm really surprised I didn't have athlete's foot or some kind of foot fungus for them being wet 24 seven on the AT. So your feet are going to be wet the whole time. It's going to be tough walking. Uh, you're never going to, you can't stop to sit down or lay down anywhere because everywhere's covered in snow. So you really can't take breaks. Um, so yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, the pictures look cool, but it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. Other than that though, it's great. Other than that. Yeah. Other than that, it's great. Fantastic. <laughs> All right. So I, I'm sorry, I may, I may have missed it. Did you ever finish that piece up in Vermont? Yeah. So I ended up, um, when I finished PCT, finished what I did on the CDT and then I started at Katahdin um, in Maine on October 2nd and then finished um, where I did in Vermont and then actually did an extra 50 miles to end at a high mountain because I thought it would be a cool end point. There's a fire tower there. It would be a really beautiful view. And when I got there, it was snowy or it was raining and foggy. And I couldn't see anything. It's per- perfect end of the AT. <laughs> <laughs> but how long did it take you to do each trail, do you think? So the CD or the PCT was the shortest. That was 90 days. The um, CDT with my extra 10 days ended up being 93 days. And then the AT was 96 days. Okay. Wow. Wow. When, and when did you finish up? When did you uh, reach the, the goal of finishing all three trails? October 25th, I think it was. So you started in January and finished the calendar, your triple crown in October. Correct. That's incredible. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Do you feel any different? Nope. <laughs> my body hurts a little bit more now that's about it now i know the the fkt i think on the pct is 55 days somewhere around there any, you mean any... for like self-supported or supported mm, that's a good sure. question i'm not sure what the self-supported is but tim olson uh, an ultra runner actually broke the supported fkt this year and it was really cool he passed us uh i did the last thousand miles of the pct with another guy he passed us like two days before we finished and then, like, as we were at Hart's Pass, about to go to the border, he was getting a ride out. It was it was pretty cool seeing him right after he broke the record. <laughs> and was it 55 days? I just looked this up the other day, and I think that was that was the one I'm referring to, Tim, Timothy Olson. I thought he did it in 51, but I might be, uh, could I might be. be remembering wrong. No, no, it could be. Could be. FKTs, uh, anything in your future like that? Uh, maybe. Probably not. I'm actually not that fast of a hiker. I just walk for a long time and I'm really stubborn and don't take breaks and don't waste a lot of time in town. I'm really not that fast. So maybe FKTs for like some, like I probably, I was going to go for the FKT on the Buckeye trail uh, to cap off the 10,000 mile a year. That was the plan before I quit on the first day, but uh, for something like that, where it's a more attainable FKT maybe, but nothing ever like the PCT or AT. I wouldn't touch, I wouldn't be able to touch that. Yeah. You don't have to be super fast. I mean, there's two ways to pick up, pick up uh, big miles in a day. One is to go, go fast, you know, basically trail run it. Or the other is you start early and you end late and you just Mm -hmm. like, like you said, be stubborn and don't take a lot of breaks. Yeah. That worked for me so far. (laughs) Okay. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to hear about some, uh, some details from each of the, the long trails and uh, talk about some of the highs and lows. Stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, 
topical insect repellents and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Muirpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like... My creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. Welcome back. We are talking to Horsepower, who completed the calendar year Triple Crown in 2021, becoming just the 13th person to accomplish this feat as far as we know, in the, in the history of mankind. So there you go. Congratulations again, Horsepower. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Now, 7,700 miles, thereabouts. Is that about the right distance? Is that what you, put, is that what you logged? It's, uh, it varies a lot. Pro- it probably wouldn't come out to be that much. It depends a lot on the CDT alternates, which mm-hmm. people like, usually typically add up the max mileage of it, which is like 3,100. Right. But really, most people, it's probably like 26 or 2,700. Okay. So 7,200 miles, 7,200, 7,300 miles. Something like that. Yeah. That is a long way to walk. That's a long way to drive. That's a long way to fly. But uh, to walk that in a, in a year, in 2021, you had to experience some, some highs and lows, not just... Uh, literal highs and lows, top of mountains, bottoms of valleys, but, but, but metaphorical. I mean, what were, what were some of the, the highlights and some of the lowlights of your time on the trail this year? Yeah, there were a lot, a lot of both. Um, <laughs> so many highlights. It, the, the funny thing about, I don't know, at least the way I view some of the highlights of the year is either they were really bad situations that are just so fun to look back on, like a snowstorm you know, in, on a May 21st in the high Sierra, or days, I just, I, they're so great, but I really can't describe why. Uh, so for the highs, for the first one I'll tell about, um, I headed in the Sierra May 18th or something like that. And then 
the day before I went over Forrester, somebody that I met saw on trail told me there was a storm rolling in and like everybody was getting off trail for it. And I, I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah, maybe I will. But in my head, I'm like, I don't have time to get off trail. I got a, I got a schedule here to keep got stuff to do. Yeah. Trail. Yeah. That's for, that's for normal people. I'm not normal. I'm, I'm crazy. I'm dumb. Um, so I just stayed on trail and I was like, whatever, I'll, I'll deal with it when it comes. And because of the storm, I actually wasn't able to do uh, Mount Whitney, which I was planning on doing that side trip. But the day I would have done it with that storm, it was supposed to be snowing and the high was going to be like two degrees. So I ended up opting to not do it. And uh, if I ever don't make it back to Mount Whitney, Mount Whitney in my life, that's my failure as it, on its own. So I'm not too worried about that. But uh, went over Forrester the first night, the weather started to get really bad. And when I was at the top, I took some pic- quick pictures and my hands started to go numb after like two minutes. It was so cold up there. And I think it got down to like 15 or 16 degrees that night. And it was only going to get colder from there. And meanwhile, this is all going on while I still basically just have my summer gear because somebody at Kennedy Meadows told me the weather was supposed to look good. So I sent home all the cold weather and winter gear I had sent there. I was like, I won't need that. It'll be fine. So meanwhile, I still have my 20 degree summer sleeping bag, which is actually probably more like a 30 or 40 degree bag because so much insulation had leaked out of it. And it was just a terrible piece of gear. But um, all that going on. And then next morning, I go past Kearsarge Pass, where basically everybody I camped with the night before was getting off at because uh, the worst of the storm was still coming. And that started snowing that morning before I went over Glen Pass. And I was like, oh, this is going to be fun. You know, some snow in the high Sierra. This should, this should be interesting. And by the time I got to Glen Pass, I was already over it. It was so crazy. Like, it was basically a whiteout. I could hardly see anything around me. And like I, when I got to the top, I, I pulled out my phone to take some pictures and looked at my face and there was like icicles coming off my beard. And it was just, it was a great scene. And then I, when I started to head down Glen Pass, the snow was crazy. There was a little bit of footprints that hadn't been covered up yet by the fresh snow. So I was following those and then it got to a point where they just disappeared. So I started making my way down. And then after, no, I got, sorry, before that I got to this, uh, I didn't want to put on my micro spikes at the top because it was so cold. I didn't want to sit down and take a break. I thought that would be a little bit dangerous. So I wanted to get down a little bit lower elevation with some less wind before I put on my micro spikes to head down. So I finally got down far enough and found this little rock where I could sit on to put them on. So I did that. And within three steps of me putting them on and walking, I slipped and started sliding down the mountain. Uh, first, you know, how you start sliding down, you're like, oh, this is a little interesting, but you're not going very fast. You're like, oh, this won't be a big deal. I'll figure it out. And then you start to pick up speed and pick up speed and pick up speed. And I'm like, oh, this is not going to be good. And then I see this like big pile of rocks below me. And all I can think of is, oh, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. This is going to hurt really bad. But then right before, like probably five feet before I hit the pile of rocks, I like jam my foot with a micro spike into the ground. Like I'm sliding to second base and somehow it stops me like perfectly in time. And I was told after the fact, that's definitely a dumb thing to do. You're not supposed to do that because you're going to start, you might start rolling over and like barreling down the hill, but it worked for me. So I got pretty lucky with that. So that was like the first crazy part of that storm. And then it snowed, ended up snowing for, I think over two days straight. And we got a fresh 18 inches of snow and it got below 10 at night with the wind chill. And I was just so cold. I think I slept maybe a half hour each night. And like, there was just so much fresh snow in my tent. It was second down so far. I couldn't, I had to basically sleep in the fetal position. Otherwise the snow would be touching me on my tent, like sagging down. And I was looking for like any sort of warmth at all. So I like took the crap, the trash compactor bag 
a trash compactor liner out of my bag and like wrapped it around my sleeping bag as if that would give me any more insulation. And then when I woke up in the morning, there was just like so much water in it that from like all the condensation and like moisture in the air. And it's, how did that end? Oh, this, that was, that was the first day of the snow. And the second day it only, I only ended up doing like an eight mile day because I went over Pinchot pass and then it got down and the next one would have been Mather, which can be pretty, pretty dangerous. And especially with all the, the fresh snow and conditions, there would have hardly been any tracks to fall. So I didn't want to do it that late in the day. Cause I also, I had uh, like basically my summer gloves and I had gotten frostbite earlier in the, earlier in the year. So my hands were already in pretty bad shape and got cold pretty easily. So I didn't want to do another high pass in the evening. So I linked up with this other guy who was still out there and we found a campsite before Mather pass and had a campfire there. And we were, we were like, we just, it was still, the snow was just pouring down on us. Just like trying to dry out our socks, hanging them over the fire. And after like a half hour of us sitting there, two more people ro rolled in, did started doing the same thing. And after that, like more and more people just kept rolling. And every time we saw another person, it was like, hell yeah, another idiot still out here. <laughs> more power <laughs> to us. And that was like probably one of my favorite memories of the year. Just like eight or 10 people sitting around a campfire with just heavy, heavy snow coming down, just like holding socks around a fire, trying to dry them out as if that was going to do anything while it's snowing. <laughs> Well, hang on, hang on a second, horsepower. There was a lot to unpack there. We covered a lot of ground. Yeah, yeah. Sorry about that. I've got, I've got questions, man. This is crazy. All right. So first, thing I want to go back to is that your your gear planning for the Sierras was based on a conversation with a random guy in Kennedy Meadows. Mm -hmm. is, that, is that accurate? Unfortunately, that's accurate. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. And so, with your summer gear, how is it sleeping in the uh, in the Sierras during a snowstorm, you, you talked about it a little bit. I mean, were you, were you wearing literally every layer that you had? Yeah, I had every single thing on that I had. Fortunately. Uh, so I had, I kept my uh, Under Armour leggings as a, an extra layer for warmth. And then also when I, after the day after I left to go into the Sierra, I found that I had my rain pants at the bottom of my pack. So I forgot to ship those home. So luckily I had those two extra things. Otherwise I would have really been in trouble. But still, even with that and not much, not much else, I had every, everything I owned on. I had my, which isn't a lot, my shirt, my puffy and my raincoat were my top layers. Those stayed on 24 seven, even when I was sleeping and how to, how I was sleeping. You don't, it wasn't much sleeping, basically just shivering, questioning if I'm going to get hypothermia. And then I don't know, trying to do some sit-ups, but still too tired to do anything. Uh, so it just, it was not a good situation. Yeah. My listeners have heard this story before, but I, I uh, hiked with my son up to Thousand Island Lake in late September in 2019. And we, we spent the night there and uh, I was, I, I was trying to go ultralight. So I had a, I had a bivy and a, a, a tarp and uh, it got cold. I mean, it was probably in the twenties. And mm -hmm. so it probably doesn't do much for my hiking cred to tell people that I was, you know, <laughs> freezing my butt off uh, in September and it was just in the twenties, but mm -hmm. you know, I had every layer of clothing on. Um, and I, I was thinking the same thing, hypothermia, what's, what's going to happen here. And got, yeah. we got up at like four o'clock, four thirty, And I said, we're, we're out of here. I, we got to get moving. I can't, I can't, I mean, there's no, it's no fun. You, it's, it's, uh, you're not sleeping. You're just, you're sitting there shivering the whole time. Yeah. So. If you don't have the right gear, you have to be moving. That's like the, the only, at least what I found the only solution. Yeah. And then, you know, at 2 a.m., you've got six layers of clothing on. You're in your, you're under a quilt and you're in, in a bivy 
and then you finally get to a, a comfortable position and then you got to go to the bathroom. Right. Mm. It's, it's uh, per- that's why perfect I, timing. I never, all year, I would never drink water before bed. I never want, <laughs> I, that's the last thing I wanted to do at the night. I have to get up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a young guy, horsepower. Just wait till you're in your fifties out there hiking. And you know, <laughs> even if you don't drink any water, it's still, you know, nature calls. So. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm not, I'm not looking forward to that. <laughs> now, you mentioned another story about uh, frostbite and your hands being in bad shape. What, what, what happened? What happened there? Yeah, that was definitely one of the lows of the year. Uh, so that was, that was only, I think it was day 17 of the entire trip. So that was still early on, still young and I mean, still young and stupid and just didn't really know what I was doing. So I was in North Carolina. I don't remember what shelter it was. And I woke up in a shelter and before the sun came out, uh, cause it didn't have much sunlight during the AT. So I started hiking before the sun every day. So I woke up, it felt unusually cold. Like it had been cold the whole time. It already, it already had been, yeah, had already been below zero. Uh, on the trip, but this morning felt unusually cold, but I was like, hey, whatever, I'll deal with it. I'm just going to get up and start walking. I'll be all right. So got up, started walking, probably made it a half a mile outside the shelter before my hands hurt so bad. They felt like they were going to explode. And I got super dizzy, could hardly stand up. And I just wanted to throw up so bad, but there was like nowhere around. It was everything's covered in snow and uh, like sloshy because it just recently rained sloshy snow. So there's nowhere to sit down or lay down or anything like that. So I like tried to run back to the shelter as fast as I could. Meanwhile, I'm dizzy and can like hardly see, but I made it back there and I tried to get out some hand warmers, but like didn't really work too well because my hands were like concrete. So I just, just laid down in the shelter, shoved my hands in my crotch and started to roll around in a ball and like yell at the top of my lungs in agony for, I, this is where it gets fuzzy. I, re- I remember doing that for about five to 10 minutes. And then I think I passed out from the pain because the next thing I remember is waking up with the sun shining on me and my hands they didn't hurt as bad anymore but they felt weird and they still they still hurt um but they they weren't as they weren't at least i didn't have active frostbite at that moment (laughs) and this was day 17 yeah and most normal people would say holy cow this is only 17 days in I've, i've just barely started basically the 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 at uh i'm out of here there's no way I'm doing this. This is this is not going how I how I planned. Mm-hmm. Uh, this, there's nothing in my future except more pain and misery. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do this. But that wasn't you. Yeah, that thought never really crossed my mind. For me, it was mostly like you're you're such a dumbass for leaving when it was that cold in the morning, and you know you don't have adequate gloves yet because I, I did have some uh like really heavy duty heavy duty uh, winter mittens, but they hadn't come in yet. I didn't get them until a few days later. Um, Cause I, I still had like really not, not good enough gloves for that temperature. But uh, once I got those winter mittens, then I was, I was like a kid in a candy shop. I was so happy all the time. My hands, they felt, they felt great. <laughs> nice. Now let's go back to the, the Sierras, the PCT. And when it's covered in snow, I know uh, when it's not covered in snow, there are, there are switchbacks going up to the, to the passes. Right. And so does the snow allow you to, forego those those switchbacks and kind of shorten the journey to the top by just going straight up through the snow yeah there's never there was never really an indication of where the actual trail was uh for some of them there was pretty good like hiked in switchbacks going up or at least a good route going up but like when i did mather pass that was after 18 inches of fresh snow so there was no tracks at all to fall so i had to make my own way up and down and that was some of the more scarier hiking i did of the year but yeah i mean there's still switchbacks because some of them are just pretty steep in their own right. So 
but it definitely cuts out a lot of the extra like what feels like worthless weaving at times that feels like you're going nowhere. Mm-hmm. Now we've heard a little bit about your, your time on the AT, a little bit of your time on the, the PCT. How, any stories from the CDT? Oh yeah. <laughs> a lot. Uh, another, like another high from the year. One of those days you just can't even describe why it's so good was in the scapegoat wilderness in Montana. Uh, before that I had been pretty unhappy with the CDT. I loved Glacier, but then after that, the Bob Marshall Wilderness, which is a huge wilderness area. Like I had heard about it before, before the trip, I thought it was going to be like this, this amazingly beautiful place. Like I would love it, but it was probably one of my least favorite spots of the entire year. It was all like low burnt valleys with just overgrowth everywhere over the trail and hardly any, hardly anywhere to camp because there were so many down trees and just overgrowth everywhere. And it just, there was no like, good views or beautiful sights at all. And it was so smoky from the wildfires. I could hardly see anything. So I was just, I hate, I was hating it for a few days. And then I got to scapegoat wilderness, which is basically just like a, a ridge walk on the divide of the country for, I don't know what it was, 20, 30 miles and loved every second of it. And it's just one of those days. I, I don't know why it was so, ha- I was so happy, but I would just find myself like randomly smiling throughout the day, just out of like pure joy. Now scapegoat wilderness, is that where they, they blame each other for things that happen there or? Yeah, something must have gone down in the past. Yeah. I don't know exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, any other highs and lows or times where you thought, uh, I'm not going to make it either, you know, through the trip or, you know, out of this experience? Mm, there was there was two times where I thought I actually might might die. One of them is a really long story and one of them is a kind of shorter one. What, w- what would you prefer? I prefer both. Thank you. Okay. Uh, we'll go with the shorter one first. Okay. So this one was in New Mexico. So I was still, still kind of a newbie, still kind of learning things at that point. I mean, it was probably 2000 miles in, but still everything felt new. Cause I had never really been in the desert before. So I was hiking along and then I was supposed to go up this, uh, switchbacks up a Mesa, which is basically like a flat, flat mountaintop. And I didn't see it. So I was just, I kept walking along the side of it. And then after, I don't know, half mile or something, I looked at my I looked at gut hook and realized I wasn't on the trail. I was supposed to be up at a higher elevation. So I was like, oh, I don't want to go backwards. Um, that's another thing. Like my brain all year, like when it let me go backwards, I had to find like a, a bushwhack or a shortcut to get back the trail. It's like, yeah, whatever. I'll, I'll just climb the side of this thing real quick and it'll be all right. So I started climbing up it. I made it like to the absolute top, probably like 200, two, 300 feet in the air, made it to the top. And then I grab onto this big rock to like, hoist myself up on top for the final, the final pull up. And as I do, so the big rock separates from the dirt and starts to fall. And so I like, I like lean backwards at first, like when they say like your life flashes before you, before your eyes, it really did. They're like in that half second where I was like, started to fall backwards. I saw like everything. And then like, I, fortunately I regained my balance, but then also as soon as I regained my balance, all I could think of was this rock is going to land on my foot. because it was like immediately to the right, of, to the right of me, right where my foot was like, Oh, but I, like the, the footholds were so small, I couldn't move it. Otherwise I would have fallen. So I was like, Oh, this is going to hurt. This is going to hurt. Then I hear it. I hear it like smash a rock. It might had to be less than like an inch or two away from my foot. And it was like such a relief. Like, Oh, good. I didn't, I didn't just break my foot. So I'll be all right. And then it took me about 10 minutes to get up that last two feet on top of the, uh, on top of the Mesa. Cause I was so nervous about my handholds then to get up on top of it. <laughs> it's funny how everything slows down in that moment. I mean, mm-hmm. a lot of thoughts go through your head as, as uh, all that is going through. And I, I think we've struck upon the title of this, this episode for the John Frickie Mirror pod. I think the title for this episode is, this is going to hurt. 
Because you know, we've heard that a couple of times out of you now. And so, and, and when you lose your balance and you've got a backpack on, I mean, I, I know it's probably lighter than much lighter than my backpack, but uh, it's incredibly difficult to keep your balance with that, that weight on your back. You, you want to just go over backwards. Yeah. That's, it doesn't really make sense. And like they even thinking back to the memories now of this and the story I'll get to next, just doing all this, crazy acrobatic stuff with a backpack on doesn't really register in my head how much more difficult that made it than it just would have even normally been. <laughs> so did the rock hit your foot? Nope. Just missed it by like an inch or two. Okay. Yeah. Big relief. <laughs> and this was on, uh, on top of a Mesa or getting to the top of the Mesa off yep. trail. Yep. Okay. And did you get back on trail there? I did. Yeah. Right. At, right, right. As soon as I got to the top, it was like five feet away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's hear the longer story. Yeah, so this one was in Wyoming uh, on the CDT, probably my, one of my favorite states the entire year. It was a beautiful area, and this was in the Wind River Range, which one of the most beautiful places in the, in the entire country, probably my second favorite after the High Sierra. Um, so stunningly beautiful, great area, and there are a lot of alternates there that you can take to, for even more scenic areas rather than doing some low valley hiking. So I did one of them called Knapsack Coal, which you basically go up to a 13,000, I think it's 13,000 foot uh, mountain pass, and then go back down to this area with some beautiful lakes, and it's just a stunning view and stunning area, but not a lot of people. So I camped uh, on, on the north side of it, and then had to rock scramble a couple miles up to the top and made it up there, and then with a gut hook, and people were leaving comments saying, oh, if you cut across the glacier, it'll save a mile or two. So I'm looking at the landscape in front of me. I see like this big flat basin area and then like a big glacier, like mountain off to my right. I was like, well, they can't mean cut across the basin. That would be way too obvious. Everybody would do that. That, that doesn't make any sense. So I, I must have to follow this ridge up to this, this glacier on my right. And then I'll see where I'm supposed to go and it'll be easy. So I started doing that. And I got to this point where basically there was these two really steep avalanche shoots and then like a big rock so it, it obstructed the view on the other side of that like okay whatever and once i get on top of that rock i'll be able to see where i'm supposed to go so i go across these two like 70 degree avalanche shoots like vertically on all fours and every time i move a foot or a hand it's sinking down like three feet because it's just lo such loose dirt so I'm, my heart's beating really fast the whole time doing that and then i finally get up to the big rock and i get to i can see on the other side then and i'm like oh this is not where i was supposed to go because on the other side, it's just two more avalanche shoots and then a vertical wall of ice. It's like, well, it's too late to turn back now. So I'll go across these next two avalanche and, shoots. And you're not going backwards. Yeah. I right? can't go, not going to go backwards. My brain can't go Forward backwards. Only. And it, it would be dangerous anyway. So I was like, whatever. I'll figure it out once I get across these next two avalanche shoots. So same thing, go across a bunch of that vertical loose dirt. And then I got to this large boulder. And from this large boulder and then like four feet off to the right was just vertical loose dirt. So you couldn't really walk on it or anything. And then off to the right of that was this big pile of rocks where I thought I'd be able to like slide my way down on to get down to a safe, a safe spot. So in my head, I was like, if I hang from this rock, my feet will be able to reach the pile of rocks off to the side. And I can, then I can make my way down. That seemed like a good idea at the time. So I like, maneuver my way down to hang from the rock. And then I, as I'm hanging with a, like a 600 foot vertical drop straight below me, I realize like my feet aren't going to reach the rocks and I'm just hanging here and can't go anywhere. It's like, this, this is not good. Uh, what, what did I do to get here? This is so stupid. 
and I'm like I want to like scream at the top of my lungs because I'm like so scared. But there's no one around. Nobody's gonna be able to do anything if they were around. So I was like, whatever. You got you got to figure this out. So I like managed to pull myself back up on top of the rock, like action movie style. And then I get back up there. I'm like, okay, I'm up here. There's still nowhere to go. So I like lay on my stomach and start to slide down like the vertical dirt, hoping I will be able to grab one of the big rocks off to the other side of it so I can get some leverage on that. So I start sliding down on my stomach. I start to like really pick up speed after like 10 feet and I start to get worried. But in, and it's like just like an action movie with the one last like lunge out, I grab onto a rock that uh, I can pull myself up on. So I'm like, I get on it. I'm like panting at the top of my lungs then. Like, whew, like that was, that was terrifying. But then I look down and like around me, like there's still nowhere to go. To my left, there's just that vertical loose dirt. And then to the right, there's a vertical wall of ice. It's like, okay, I guess this is it. This is when I, this is when I got to do it. So I just sit down on my butt on the dirt and then start sliding down the mountain till I, till I stop. And when I start going down, there's like everything flying around me. There's like big rocks flying by my head. I'm causing a major rock slide. Like everything is going around me. My hand, I'm trying to put my hands on the ground to slow me down. They're just getting cut up and bleeding. My butt's bleeding because it's just getting cut up with the rocks left and right. My pants are tearing. And after like, I think I slid down probably like 400 feet. And when I got down there, I'm just like out of breath, like, like what the hell just happened? What did, what did I just do? And I still wasn't done. I, so there was still like a bunch of ice in front of me. And then off to my right, there was like some powdery snow with a big rock, a massive rock, like 12 feet below. And then off, after that big rock, there was like rocks where I'd be able to scramble my way to the bottom. So my one last uh, effort there was I just like, like broad jumped six feet into the puffy snow and just started sliding down the mountain. And I, I, I was hoping I'd stop on the big rock. And I, when I hit it and I did, and then I just made my way to the bottom then and just like was so angry the rest of the day for being so stupid to take that wrong route and put myself in that situation. Did you rage hike the rest of the day? I did. I, I, I turned on a big rage against the machine playlist and just got, was just had to let out a lot of anger. <laughs> now horsepower, this, this sounds like a movie. I would pay money to see this movie of your calendar year triple crown hike. I mean, th- th- you've had some incredible moments on the trail. So let's, let's think about this a little bit here. So when this becomes a movie, which actor plays you? Hmm, that's gonna be tough because all my favorite actors are much older and probably want probably want it make sense as me. I'm trying to think of somebody somebody younger that might fit. I don't know, maybe maybe like a Zac Efron, but he, he's too he's too good looking. I don't know. I'll, I'll go <laughs> I'll go with him for now. Okay, Zac Efron. What would be the title of the movie? Ooh, this is gonna hurt. Uh, this is gonna hurt. Sure, we'll go yeah. with that. Okay. <laughs> Well, invite me to the premiere because it all started here with our conversation. So, all right, we'll do. <laughs> all right, um, let's talk about uh, comparison of the trails. They, you know, we, we've talked to a number of people who have done, you know, one of the trails. We talked to a few people who are triple crowners. We talked to some, you know, that are calendar year triple crowners. Each of the trails has a different personality. I think uh, there is a a different style to them uh how would you what is your analysis what is your characterization of the trails if you know what how would you how would you uh, describe the at the cdt and the pct and i'm going to ask you to rank those in terms of which is your favorite i should probably preface this by saying if you want a good review of the at don't come to me uh i hiked it in winter so you're not going to get a fair argument i it's going to be mostly negative stuff um so just that's out there uh the at was definitely the hardest um i think that was probably because it 
probably because it was in winter, but even so the, just the steep grade is, is really tough, really, really brutal. And like when I was along the PCT, I was gliding the whole time. Like, I mean, it wasn't easy hiking, but the grade is just so nice. It's easy to crush big miles. And then when I, when I finished the PCT, it was actually a disaster because there was a fire uh, approaching. So they closed parts past. We had to take um, so little side trails to be able to get back to a road um, in the U S and on one of those side side trails, I think it was called Jakita Ridge Trail. I was quickly reminded of how brutal and steep a trail can be, and I was like, "Damn, PCT was so easy this whole time. I forgot how how brutal things could be." So the PCT is really nice, really gentle. It's it's not going to be easy, but the weather, other than the snowstorm in the Sierra, the weather's beautiful the whole time. It's beautiful hiking. The AT is ridiculously difficult, um, rewarding at times, but you really got to earn earn the pretty views. And the CDT, it's a uh, hmm, trying to think of a good description. Hmm, it's like uh, a crazy, crazy ex-girlfriend that loves to like stab you in the back and punch you in the back of the head at the same time. But also, it's really fun, really beautiful, really pretty. It was my favorite by far. Um, I, I love that part of the country and it was my favorite of, of the three. So crazy ex-girlfriend, punch you in the back of the head, stab you in the back. But still fun, fun. Yeah, you know, still fun. She's, she's a like, fun girl. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever you think things are going to be easy or things are going to go smoothly, that's when that's when it'll get you, and something's going to happen that you are not you are not ready for. Some, you're going to get some golf ball sized hail, or I don't know something else. <laughs> Did that happen out there? Golf size golf golf ball sized hail. Yeah, it was like my fourth day on the CDT, and I was like, well, I guess I guess this is what I'm in for. <laughs> wow. So based on those characterizations, I would assume that uh, PCT would be your favorite. No, I like the CDT better. Yeah. You like, you like the crazy ex-girlfriend. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> the PCT was, was really beautiful and very rewarding. I don't know, just something about the CDT. I just, something about like that part of the country is like so, just so romantic and like just so beautiful. I don't know. It's hard to put into words. Everything just felt bigger. Everything felt like more vast along the, along the divide. Nice. Now, with seventy-two hundred miles uh, under your under your trail runners this year, um, did you pick up any any new friends, any tramley out there? It sounds like you were alone a lot of the time on the the AT and the, the CDT, but maybe you picked up picked up some new friends on the on the PCT. Yeah. So that's also a disclaimer for anyone that wants to try the pound uh, your triple crown. You're not gonna you're not gonna make a lot of friends. You're not gonna meet a lot of people just because you're moving too fast most of the time. Or at least you should be, hopefully. Uh, so yeah, the whole time I was on the AT, I saw three through hikers and that was all like in the first week. I never saw any again until I got, I went back in October. Then I saw some late Novo finishers. And then when I was on the CDT in New Mexico, I saw two people uh, the whole time in 800 miles. But then when I got to the PCT, I started April 26th. That was like right around the popular time to start. So I've seen people left and right the first 700 miles. And it was fun to like, I, I this definitely hurt my speed a little bit. Like it would be like six thirty, seven o'clock. I'd see a camp, like cool looking people. I'd be like, uh, I guess 32, 34 miles is good enough for today. I, I can stop here and have a chat for a while. So it was really fun in the desert to like actually camp with people at night and, you know, have conversations, talk with people. And, but then after the Sierra, especially after that snowstorm, I really didn't see many people occasionally here and there, but not really until I got to uh, right after Bernie, California. So I think around mile 1600. And it was funny, like right, right during that day, I was starting to think like, damn, this is, 
it's kind of boring. Northern California is kind of boring. Oregon's I hear it's going to be not, not super scenic. This, this is going to be a tough part of the trail to get to Washington. And like that night I roll up to a camp with three people, basically said hi, whatever. And the next morning, uh, one of the guys also slept in like I did. And he was like, Hey, so, uh, what, what kind of mileage you doing per day? And I was like, Oh, I do right around 30 miles a day. He was like, Oh, yeah, cool. I'll, I'll try to keep up with you. We'll see what happens. These other two are getting off trail tomorrow. And I was like, okay, no, yeah, we'll see what happens in my head. I was like, all right, buddy, I've heard this one before. Yeah, we'll see We'll see how this goes. But uh, he had, his, his name was Hammer and he ended up uh, doing the last thousand miles with me. What he didn't tell me at first was that he's an ultra runner. So that, uh, that definitely helped. And uh, he, he actually ended up being a, a considerably faster hiker than me. So he kind of made, he made me push some extra, extra miles at times too, which was great. Awesome. Now you, you mentioned 32, 34 miles, uh, would be a good, good point to stop. What was your highest mileage day? Uh, 53 miles in the divide basin in Wyoming. Okay. 53. Did you put together many 50 mile days? No, that was my only 50. Um, I knew I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to try a 50 mile day and that was probably going to be the area to do it because it's so flat. And I had only planned on doing 50 miles that day, but the the divide basin is kind of funny. It's so flat, but it's really hard to find a camping spot at times because everywhere is covered in like sagebrush or something else pointing on the ground. So I actually had to do an extra three miles that night when my legs were like so stiff, they could hardly move. I did an extra three miles before I could find like any decent camping spot. Ended up actually camping on a dirt road that was off to like the side of the main dirt road I was walking on, just hoping nobody would drive on it in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, on days where you plan to hike the full day, what was your lowest mileage day because of conditions? Hmm. I never really had a low mileage day where I, the full, I hiked the full day. It, I had a couple of low mileage days, but it was because of like foot problems or something else. So like I had a nine mile day in California because of my athlete's foot hurt so bad. It was like every single step, it felt like I was stepping in shards of glass. It hurt so bad. And then I was on the AT. I think I had an 11 mile day one time just because I was moving so slow because of the snow. And I think I called it a day at like four o'clock. Okay. Now, if, uh, if you can think back to early in the year and actually I take that back, think back to October. All right. What would October horsepower whisper in the ear of January horsepower? Don't stop using Vermont bag bomb, you idiot. So I, I uh, on the AT and through the CDT, the uh, New Mexico CDT, I was using Vermont bag bomb religiously, which is basically like very hardcore foot lotion. It's for like cow udders in the Northeast, I guess, but works really good for, for foot care. And I was doing that the whole time on the AT and in New Mexico and I had no foot problems at all. Like they were in like excellent condition for as much as they had been through. But then when I got to the PCT in the desert, it was so hot that I, I, it came in like a tin container and it started to like seep out of the tin, the tin container and like just get everything in my bag like covered in like bag bomb. And it was disgusting. I could hardly use it because it was so just like the, that gross like liquid was everywhere. So I stopped using it in Southern California and then my feet just went to hell after that, especially like with the blizzard in the Sierra that really messed them up because they were soaking wet and cold and then. In Yosemite, I was walking in smelting snow 24-7, and I, I hated Yosemite so much. But uh, I actually got athlete's foot right after that because they were, they were so wet, and it was, like, so hot. And, yeah, it was just uh, – once I stopped using it, they, they got in pretty bad condition. Yeah, most people don't say that they hate Yosemite so much. It's usually uh, 
Yeah, it's not a yeah. common phrase. <laughs> it was probably my <laughs> second or third least favorite part of the entire year, to be honest. <laughs> wow. Wow. And so right there, that, that could have been some, uh, your pro tip inside of the week that could have, you know, using cow udder cream on your feet. I mean, that's, yeah, that's, that's not something we heard one. before. <laughs> I only, actually got only... it from, uh, I got it from kickstand. Uh, he, I guess he did it in 2018 and I, I don't know how he found it or what, what turned him on to it, but it was a, uh, it worked great. <laughs> I was going to say only from a farm boy in Ottawa. Yep. <laughs> hey, horsepower. What did you learn about yourself through this whole experience? Yeah, there was definitely a lot of things. Um, the biggest one was probably that I, I had kind of been lying to myself for fought for or since high school. Basically, the job I was telling myself what I wanted to do, I kind of realized I don't think I wanted to do that anymore. So that was probably the biggest thing. Um, in addition to that, just like how living, how simple life can be. You know, like I all year I hardly paid attention to the news at all or anything like that, and I just I just like loved that. You're so much more happier all the time, not hearing negative stuff. And in addition to that, just like we're capable of so much more than we ever give ourselves credit for. When I was going to do the PCT in 2020, my goal was to average 18 miles a day. And with basically nothing really changing after that next year, just doing over 30 miles a day and doing an 8,000 mile a year. Like we're all, we're all capable of so much more than we think we are until we actually like go for things and, you know, really put ourselves to the test. And like, I really didn't even, I mean, I, I quit on the Buckeye trail this year, but that's not because I actually found my limit. I just didn't really want to do it anymore. You know, I just yeah, kind of had this question, like, what is, what is our actual limit? I, I'm striving to kind of find that answer someday. Okay. Now uh, just, uh, just curious, how much did you weigh when you started at Springer? Yeah, I left, uh, I left, I started at 215. 215. How much do you weigh now? Uh, right now I'm back up to around 200 since I've been eating a lot and just started working out recently again since I've been home. But, uh, so my, the lowest I weighed in all year was 172. So that was down, um, 43 pounds on the year. Wow. But, yeah. I, I, I was terrified when I saw that. So I kind of changed my plan then to, uh, to hike out with less hiking food that I wasn't going to eat anyways. Cause I would, I got so tired of cliff bars and like trail mix and stuff like that to carry out less of that carry out more junk food, like cookies or candy stuff that I would actually eat. So carry out more calories like that. And then just binge eat a lot more in towns. And I was able to get back up to like 180, 180 to 185 most of the rest of the year then. Yeah. What, what food has the trail ruined for you? What do you never uh, want to see again? Completely ruined trail mix and cliff bars, but also kind of ruined peanut butter. Cause before the trip, peanut butter was one of my favorite foods. But now I've had it like twice since I've been home and I just, I don't, it's, it's not there anymore. <laughs> okay. So talking about, you know, what are our limits? What, what are horsepower's limits? What's, what's next for horsepower? What do you got? What do you got planned in terms of the outdoor adventure? I got some, I got some other crazier ideas in my head, but uh, the more real, more realistic ones, uh, I'm really intrigued by the Pacific Northwest trail. I really want to give that a try, maybe at a, at a more leisurely pace with uh, maybe a couple of friends. And other than that, the I'm really um, intrigued by the Hayduke. I don't know when or how I would do that. I would take a lot of research, a lot of preparation. Um, but other than that, I don't know. I got some crazy big ideas in the back of my head, but they would need a lot of preparation and a lot more uh, replenishing of the finances to make stuff like that happen. Yeah, if you're going to test your limits, I had two suggestions for you. You mentioned one of them, the Hayduke. Uh, hey Duke sounds like an incredible experience. I've talked to uh, Ginger Balls, 
couple times. Ginger Balls, uh, actually, he's been on the podcast three times. Uh, during his second time on the podcast, he talked about doing the he his recent Hey Duke experience. He he completed the trail and he has some great stories from it. And he is also uh, very friendly and giving of his uh, uh, insight and and uh, experience. And so, if you want to reach out to him, uh, he, he I know he'd be happy to talk to you about the about the Hey Duke. You could also listen to that episode. He goes into some some pretty good details, some great stories. The other suggestion I was going to have for you was the Barkley marathons. <laughs> uh, the, the thing is, uh, I know it's not a big running race. You know, it's more you know everything around it because uh, like just fast hiking and actually being able to find book, the pages and stuff like that. But I don't know. I I actually am, I'm thinking about starting to get into ultra running a little bit, maybe in the future. But I don't know. That's still so foreign. So. On it seemingly unattainable for me. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, you, know, you could be the second calendar year triple crowner to attempt the Barclays. Jeff Jeff Legend Garmeyer, he uh, he attempted last March. Yeah, the fact that he so he's like just on such a different level. The fact that he I don't I don't think even finished a loop is just like terrifying to me. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. You know, uh, season two, episode one, we had Mike Wardian on, who is just this incredible athlete. He's an uh, ultra marathoner. Uh, top of his game, uh, just incredible physical condition. And he, he, he's tried the Barkley a couple times. And one time he found himself not completing a loop and sitting in a cave, uh, shivering, uh, trying to avoid <laughs> hypothermia. So that, that's what that race will do to you. If you're looking that for your limits, like yeah, <laughs> you might, you might find your limits there. Yeah. Maybe I don't, maybe I don't want to then. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Hey, a quick top five list of all the 7,200, 7,300 miles. Can you boil it down to top five moments? Ooh, that is tough. Hmm. Where you just experienced so much joy you couldn't speak. The first one, I don't even know. It's gonna. It's probably just gonna sound lame, but it was in uh, Tennessee right before I crossed into Virginia. Uh, I left the town that day, and they were calling for like, I think it was eighteen to thirty-six inches of snow up on the high, the high mountain ridges where I was gonna be. And the people I was staying with in town, like, offered to let me stay again. But I was like, nah, I'm, I'm good. I need to get back out there. Like, throughout that whole day, I, like, I was just so happy all day, just, like, smiling because the snow was coming down so heavy. And it was just, like, overjoyed. I was just overjoyed at, like, how ridiculous the situation was and how absurd it was to be out there. When I knew nobody else would be out there, there was no tracks to fall, anything like that. I was just so happy all day. Okay, that's the one. Second, the second would probably be that day in Scapegoat Wilderness. Um, it's kind of the same thing. Just so happy all day. Mm -hmm. And then the third, third would probably be seeing the sunrise on the Roan Highlands in Tennessee. Uh, I'd camped like right before the night before and then woke up. I had a really big problem sleeping in all year, but I actually woke up on time this morning and it was still one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in my entire life. The sky was full of like clouds that like i don't know how to describe it but they were just like i think alto cumulus i think they were but it's like really choppy clouds and they just looked amazing with the sunrise with the fiery orange sky it was beautiful mm -hmm. uh so that was three that's three four <laughs> this won't be a, a nature story but when i was in new mexico i was walking along the road one night and there wasn't really anywhere to camp so i was walking by this ranch and they I like asked if I could camp like on their property in, in the back and they said sure and they were like having a party so I set up my tent and they're like hey hey come here come here and I ended up like 
drinking a lot of beer and tequila with them that night. And I, I hate tequila, but uh, they made me do it. And it was, it was a really fun time. One and tequila, was, two tequila, three tequila floor. It, it ended up being something like that. The next morning was not fun. <laughs> <laughs> and then five. Hmm. I'll probably go with probably something somewhere in the snowstorm in the high Sierra, probably getting a top of getting a top of Glen pass when the first part of the snowstorm was hitting and there's icicles coming off my beard. And that was just, that was just something else. Yeah. Do, do you have a picture of that? Do you have a selfie? Just take a selfie do, with the yeah. icicles. Nice. Can't wait to see that. <laughs> okay. Hey, horsepower, you know where we are? Um, nope. Uh, we're at that part of the episode where you share your pro tip inside of the week. What, what bit of trail wisdom do you have to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? Hmm. And it can't be, you already used it up. It can't be the cow udder cream on your feet. That was a good Sorry. one. Yeah. I, I used that one too early. Uh, so this might be a little bit controversial, but don't, don't listen to other people. Uh, so <laughs> before, before I started, uh, like really preparing for the county or triple crown, I like kind of looked online for like people that had done it like without experience before and stumbled across this poor soul on Reddit that like kind of was the same boat as me put out there like, Hey, I've never, never through hike before, but I'm thinking about trying the county or triple crown. And the comments were just like everybody tearing him to shreds, like saying you're an idiot. Like just do, just do one trail at a time and things like that. So that was the point I vowed to stay off Reddit. Um, so I, I stay, I didn't use it for any research or anything like that. But in addition to that, throughout the year, you know, I tell people what I'm doing, like 99% are really supportive. There's always 1% that are going to like kind of question what you're doing or why would you want to go fast or you can't do that. There's no way you can do that. Uh, you won't be able to keep up that speed. You're going to get injured, things like that. And the biggest thing is just don't, don't listen to other people. You, they don't know you. They don't know who you are. They don't know what you're capable of. And really, if you, if you want anything bad enough and work hard enough for it, you'll, you'll get it. All right. I think that's excellent. Excellent piece of advice. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Horsepower. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Horsepower, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures like the Hey Duke? Yeah. So basically the only thing I use um, right now is Instagram and that's just going to be at natural horsepower. Um, so that's where you can find me. Uh, thinking about starting a website soon, but I really don't know anything about that. So that is not, not in the cards yet. And then um, what was the other question? Sorry. Uh, that was it. How, how can they keep oh, up okay. with you on social media? <laughs> there you go. All right. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Horsepower, you need a TikTok account. Yeah, I got to work on that, I guess. <laughs> okay. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakingmuir at gmail.com. Horsepower, also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail. What do you have for us? Hmm. I guess it's probably mentioned before, but read Legends book. It's a great book. And then, uh, of course, read mine when it comes out, uh, hopefully sometime next year. Um, but I guess mainly uh, just you know, go rewatch The Revenant, you know, great movie. The cinematography is amazing. The scenery is just so beautiful. And if you're getting ready for a through hike, it's good to watch because, you know, I watched it before I left. And a lot of times on the AT where I was like, oh, it's cold, it's raining, you know, but at least I don't have to crawl inside of a dead horse. So it's a good, uh, you know, it's a good measuring stick. There is that. At least I didn't have to climb into a dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> 
And before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What I miss? Hmm. I can't think of anything, at least off the top of my head. Okay. We covered it then. Well, that's a wrap from the John Freaky Muir studio. Any shout outs to friends and family horsepower? Uh, just big thanks to my parents for the year, throughout the year for being supportive and mailing me stuff whenever I needed it. And then just shout out to uh, my through I can brother, uh, Hammer, who did, did a thousand miles in the PCT. Um, great guy. And then shout out to Terminator, who we kind of adopted for the last three days when he caught up to us. Uh, yeah, those are about the probably two closest people I was with throughout the entire year. Okay. Hey, and I forgot to ask you earlier as you were telling these stories where you thought you were going to die. Did you tell your parents those stories too? Uh, just a couple weeks ago. <laughs> okay. I didn't want them listening to the podcast and this being their first experience. Uh, yeah, that'd be a that. tough, tough yeah. way to find out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, hey, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you had to hang off a rock with 600 feet of vertical below you. The trail is the trail. Embrace the suck. Thank you.